Hello, this is Martin Willis. I apologize to regular listeners that I haven't had too many podcasts lately. I've been busy in the middle of a big project. I hope that will uh, change soon. Today's guest, Michael Jefferson, makes a topic that may not seem interesting, very interesting, 20th century carpets. Stay tuned. He's coming right up. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. I'm with Senior Vice President of Wright Auctions in Chicago, who are, uh, Rich has been on as a regular guest. We today have Michael Jefferson on uh, carpets. How are you, Michael? Uh, just fine. Thanks so much, Martin. Sure. And I don't want to say just carpets. I want to say 20th century carpets. Correct. And I uh, received your catalog um, recently and... You know, I look at things uh, that are graphic and are artistic, and it doesn't really matter what they are. You know, I mean, if it's appealing, um, then I consider it very, uh, you know, a nice collectible, and that's what you have here. You have some beautiful designs. And first of all, why don't you talk about the auction? This is kind of a first of its kind, isn't it? Well, there have been carpet auctions in the past, but it's really a new paradigm in the way that carpets are presented in the market, at least from our perspective. Um, Carpets have been around for centuries, but um, they've largely been overlooked, ignored, or relegated to the back of house sales and and, um, mixed sales, interior sales, and to me, they always look like these dark rectangles that were page turners in the uh, physical catalogs as I was looking for objects or art that uh, appealed to me. Um, but uh, this is an idea that we've had ongoing um, as we've gotten more and more traction in the market of carpets, um, where we decided to ramp it up first through more and more lots within the existing 20th century design sales that we have, and then finally really just uh, taking the leap and focusing exclusively on this really wonderful two-dimensional art form. Ah, Well put. You know, I remember I was working in California at an auction gallery, and I had this uh, one of the people that I, co-worker, went out and looked at a house, and he took pictures, and and he was bringing back all these pictures, and there was really not too much Victorian. And he said, well, that, that's it. And then I said, well, what about the, you know, he didn't pick it up because he said it wasn't really worth it. So I go, you know, you walked over a $5,000 rug to take a picture of a $100 Victorian table. <laughs> yes. And uh, so we ended up going back and getting the rug, and, and we hit a home run with that one. I think it was like 13000 and uh, it was just a really, really good room size. I think it was a Serapi or something like that. So rugs can be walked over without even paying attention to them. Correct. And uh, like I said before, this is what we're trying to change. Um, my interest in these kind of came through two channels. Uh, one was a largely decorative category of Moroccan carpets, which mm-hmm. are these kind of oatmeal ground as a color um, carpets with a dark pattern over the top, typically in a matrix of a loose grid or kind of a harlequin pattern or sometimes a more abstracted mesh kind of um, uh, weave. Uh, And then uh, parallel to that was an ongoing interest I've had in Swedish carpets, which really 
epitomize the the best carpets of the modern era uh, in terms of the the make and quality and the the um, inventiveness of their designs. So it's kind of through those two categories that really got me looking at what I'm standing on um, anew. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been a specialist of 20th and 21st century design uh, for going on 15 years, and uh, I hate to admit. I didn't know anything about carpets for the vast majority of my tenure as a specialist. Um, there's always a lot to learn, oh, yeah. but I realized that, you know, we look, I walk into interiors and collections and I know what I'm looking at just uh, sweeping my eyes across a room um, and looking at art and looking at design and objects. And I realized I didn't know what I was standing on. Ah. And uh, once mm-hmm. I started delving into it, I realized just how, much depth there was to this market, not just as a market from a monetary standpoint, but a market uh, really as it relates to a historical spectrum of artisans, craftspeople, and styles, um, not to also uh, you know geographies uh, across the globe. So it's become quite fascinating. And you know, kind of looping back to this catalog, really we wanted to invite people to think about it anew, uh, show people categories of carpets that they have become familiar with through our auctions and through really um, uh, sophisticated designers and collectors, but also um, carpets from other corners of the globe, which in uh, even in my experience over the last year working on this catalog are still quite new to me, and I'm excited about what is out there to learn about uh, in this in this category of carpets. Now, um, can we explain to the person that may not really understand all that much about, which is actually me, I'm one of those people, I'm not really that familiar with, you know, 20th century design. These rugs are all hand-woven, right? For the most part, yes. Are, yes. There, machine, are there machine-woven rugs that have bare value today? Not that many. Um, you know, really largely what we focused on are hand-woven, hand-knotted, hand-knotted um, carpets. Mm-hmm. Now, also, can you explain to the listening audience the different types of weaves? There's flat weave. I'm sorry, there's flat weave, there's pile carpets, half-pile carpets. Can you explain yep. what the differences are? Sure. Well, it comes to its uh, it comes from its physical attributes. So a flat weave is just as it sounds. It's really a tightly knotted um, uh, carpet that has no pile, and the pile are the fibers that stand up and are trimmed at their end, and you know there as kind of a a plush surface to to walk on. A flat weave really acts as, in simple terms, a mat. Um, it's flat. It's um, it's certainly something that warms the room, both both visually and uh, from from a comfort standpoint. But um, as I was mentioning, it, it's something that is woven flat and and tightly in the warp and weft. And then you get a pile carpet, which is what most people understand in terms of carpets and rugs, and that is a thicker um, thicker type of carpet that has a as I was mentioning, fibers that are standing on end. And you can have thin or thick pile in the pile carpet category. And then you get a half-pile carpet, which are really fantastic. And this is where you mix, or the artisans mix, pile and flat weave. So there are areas of pile in squares or within the pattern 
um, with a ground or a base that is a flat weave. So it's a really sophisticated um, technique and one that is really rich um, visually and, and uh, viscerally, one that I really like, uh, something I'd never really paid attention to, um, but I'm kind of fascinated in, in, in what I've learned about those half-pile carpets. And they really are the ones that seem to garner the most attention and often the highest pricing. Uh, because they are rich and sumptuous, and they do display uh, real prowess by these artisans in terms of their craft. Wow. Now, I would think if um, you know, these these carpets range all the way up into like the twenty thousand dollar range, down to you know maybe fifteen hundred or two thousand or something like that. Um, yep. Uh, I almost have a problem walking on on something like that. Um, now. I, I picture that a lot of people just, you know, care for it well. And um, But do people ever hang these on the wall? Sure. Yeah, some of them are meant to be hung, um, or they can certainly lend themselves to being hung. I think the thing to realize with these is that they're all designed and made to be on the floor and to be walked on, lived on with furniture on them. Uh, certainly, like with anything of value, you have to take certain safeguards you know, nothing is uh, immune from, uh, you know, red wine or animals. But oh, yeah. really, these are things that are intended to be lived with, and they have been lived with. I mean, many of these carpets that we have are from the 20s and 30s or 40s, and they wear quite well. Uh, again, this is just what they're made to do. And uh, they really are something that, when cared for, can last a very long time. I think when people think of carpet dealers and carpet sales, oftentimes what comes to mind are these Persian carpet dealers, uh, Asiatic carpets that are, have been around for centuries and for good reason. And these are made of silk sometimes, and these are made um, you know, by nomadic tribes people sometimes, um, but they last. And so with the more contemporary carpets, carpets of the 20th century, these are designed to be used and will last and be um, and will endure for a long time to come. Now, I know that sunlight is uh, a killer to just about anything. So uh, I'm sure a lot of these um, pieces have a little bit of sun fading, or some of them do, I would imagine. Yes, I mean, it's a factor, as you said, with, uh, with any art. But for the most part, it's something that they've, they've thought about with natural dyes and... Um, it's, you know, there are certain cases where they've gotten uneven light and it really does affect their value. And when it comes to curating an auction like we've done, we try to kick out those pieces that do have too egregious uh, condition issues or uneven fading. But for the most part, the carpets that we're presenting, when they do have fading or wear, it's even. And so the aesthetic or the beauty of them is not lost. As all our shows, um, I'm going to link this page that has um, the lots up on it so the listener can take a look. It'll be right under the podcast. Um, can you go over um, some of the names? And actually, one of the questions I have is what makes a name, a weaver, become um, so noted? Is it, um, of course, the extraordinary work we'd like to think? But are there other things involved, like in paintings? So there's kind of sometimes there's a little bit of politics involved and what makes an artist um, more valuable than another. Can you kind of go over that? And then also, can you sure. give a couple of uh, key names in the carpets today? Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, well, again, kind of speaking from the perspective of history, a lot of carpets over the years, over the centuries, are made by anonymous weavers, but are categorized by the regions in which they, from where they emanate. Uh, so we see things like, you know, Indian carpets, Chinese carpets, Samarkand carpets, things of those categories, and those are not about the individual weavers, although you can see the skill of the individuals that made these. But it's not really until the 19th and 20th century that we start to get name recognition the way that we do with other arts, um, such as architecture and, and painting and ceramics and glass and furniture design, etc. So when we look at carpets of the 20th century, and with this sale specifically, the core is really wrapped around the idea of Scandinavian carpets. I think that um, the Scandinavian weavers, and specifically weavers in Sweden, um, really just elevated the craft and the design of what people perceived to have previously understood as, as uh, carpeting uh, or rugs. And so with some names specifically, we always kind of defer to, uh, refer to the workshops of Marta Mas Federström uh, in Sweden. Uh, Marta Mas Federström was a woman who was really groundbreaking in her approach to weaving. Uh, she wove all of her designs herself, and then other weavers took over, but they followed her designs specifically. And she was really bringing uh, Sweden into the 20th century and into ideas of what was considered modern. Uh, her workshop uh, was a magnet largely to other women designers, which I really find uh, fantastic. Uh, two other designers that really became the superheroes at the workshops of Marta Mas Federström. Once Marta Mas Federström kind of um, passed the torch to other artistic directors, her name lived on, but the designers Barbro Nielsen um, is um, really the epitome of what constitutes the most value and highest quality and most inventiveness uh, of, of Swedish carpets. And uh, her contemporary Marianne Richter, uh, between those two, Barbara Nielsen and Marianne Richter, we find the most extraordinary designs. And the first, um, you know, several dozen lots in the sale are devoted to their work. Um, as I mentioned, this is the market, this is the uh, period and the, the region that got me most interested in carpets. And it's been validated in the market by who is buying these and, and the prices that they're paying. So what we see here is a real dedication from these Swedish weavers of color and highly expressive form and a real range therein of those categories. I mean, we find very subtle, earthy tones all the way up to bright blues and reds and yellows and greens. One of the masterpieces that we have in this sale um, is a large carpet that's called the Falurutan, um, which has a, all of these, these patterns have specific names as categorized by the uh, Martimas Federstrom workshops. But we have one that's, that's very large, and it's a bright red palette. So when we judge these, it's often the idea of size and color that really brings the most value. Um, and that's actually the way that a lot of carpets are evaluated in general, outside the, the Swedish carpet specifically, 
or carpets of the 20th century. It's size and color. Um, size makes a difference because it just takes an absolute, uh, an absolutely stunning amount of man hours uh, to create these, and they were often created for um, custom large-scale interiors and. Subsequently, people that have large interiors, um, you know, have a need for these large carpets, and and uh, they pay for them. But there's a there is a very large red carpet, and we have other carpets that really could be seen as uh, carpets for an entryway, or carpets that could lend themselves to the wall because they are much smaller in scale, down to the idea of three to four and a half feet, um, as compared to the large faluritan that I referred to, which is some ten by twenty feet, uh, which we rarely see. But uh, just circling back to the idea of the workshops of Martimas Federstrom and the designers specifically of Federstrom, Barbo Nielsen, and Marianne Richter, we really see the epitome of what is most collectible in the market. But uh, we were interested, that doesn't constitute a sale for us. Um, and there, I didn't want to have 150 lots of Martimas Federstrom carpets. Would have taken us two or three years to build up to that number. So I was curious about who the satellite workshops and weavers were around that that behemoth that is um, or inf that behemoth of influence that we find in Martimas Fetterstrom and other names started to appear uh, names such as uh, Barrett Koenig and Carl Daigle um, other names that uh, that started to appear that had a similar style and just a you know a different um, a different way of expressing their their weavings and then people like Sigvard Bernadotte um, a really interesting and diverse uh, designer who didn't do – he was a designer that didn't do a whole, num a whole great deal of, of carpets but did silver and objects and lighting and seating, uh, really one of these Renaissance men. Um, and then I was curious beyond Scandinavian carpets how that butted up against other things like the Moroccan that I mentioned or how it circles back to another major category that's been strong for a long time, which would be Art Deco carpets, specifically French. And then beyond French, it kind of butts up into Chinese Deco. And then you kind of start to broaden the categories into, as I was mentioning, these um, carpets of other areas, Asiatic carpets, carpets of the Caucasus and Samarkand regions in the Middle East, um, et cetera, et cetera. So this spectrum uh, started to evolve. And really, I wanted to create a context where somebody could open this catalog and say, I don't know anything about carpets, or I've heard this or that name, or I'm interested in this or that category or style, but see and make references to other categories of carpets that are as aesthetically interesting and really start to educate people in the way that I've been educating myself uh, and understanding this as, as a true category that has been uh, undervalued, underrated, and under misunderstood uh, really for, for too long. I would think that, um, you know, no one buys these carpets originally as uh, by accident. In other words, they would go with certain designs. So like if you walked into, say, a Danish modern home, um, you should really pay attention, in my opinion, if you're looking to handle the items. Pay attention to what's on the floor because, again, they wouldn't buy something like this by accident if it looks... Interesting. It probably is. What do you what do you say to that? 
Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, there are certain purists that, you know, if they're in a Danish modern home or a Scandinavian modern home, they want to have Scandinavian carpets. What I found most interesting really in the in the 20th century in general is um, the way that people can draw from different categories and find those links visually, aesthetically, or through color, texture, and form uh, that link it outside of its real, you know, comfort zone. So, and I find that it's not being done enough. I've seen the way carpets can transform a room, transform a collection. Certainly there's some danger there. I mean, there's no, uh, it's no accident that museums and galleries, for instance, um, have a very muted uh, environment in which to see art or see um, decorative arts. They put things on pedestals and austere spaces against neutral floors and backgrounds. But that's really not how most of us live. Um, it's fascinating from my own perspective as a collector, and that's really how I approach this, as how my interior really changed once I put in some really significant carpets. Uh, it would draw things together in a way that just having it on a wood floor or or having the kind of um, default um, cowhide on the floor, which is what I see way too often um, in interiors. And these are in interiors where they have the most important artworks and collections of design, but I realize they're just kind of uh, not doing what they could be doing by putting something equally important on the floor. But um, there can be some danger to that. I mean, color can change the way everything looks. But I've, I've been in very sophisticated interiors and not enough where the carpet is absolutely the extraordinary glue that holds the room together, simply from an aesthetic decorative standpoint. But I've begun to realize someone's taste can be judged really by their art and their design, but really almost more importantly by their choices for carpet because um, it's really something that is um, – there isn't enough knowledge out there uh, and people aren't taking enough chances by putting carpets on the floor that have pattern and color. Um, but it does something to really enhance a room. So I find that really engaging um, uh, in general for myself as a collector. I could definitely see how it would tie everything together. Can you tell the listening audience – First of all, where they find your website, which, again, will be linked on this sure. podcast. But also the um, auction date and the previews. This is 2014. And you're actually having a preview in New York as well as the Chicago office. Can you go over that, please? Sure. So the auction is called 20th Century Carpets, and uh, it's on Friday, June 13th, 2014. Um, the auction is in Chicago starting at noon. And uh, you can see the catalog uh, online at uh, right20.com. That's W-R-I-G-H-T 20.com. And you can see the view of all of them. And also we do um, reproduce the, the printed catalog uh, on the website as well. And I, I mentioned the, the printed catalog because the, the goal here, again, is to re- um, educate or to educate anew the the buying public on carpets and myself and Nader Balur, who is the curator of this sale, and Jennifer Mahaney, who is our um, who is the chief designer here, 
chief graphic designer here, all wanted to do a new approach. And so the catalog itself is a paradigm shift in the way carpets are presented at auction. So I invite people to explore uh, not just the individual lots, but the way that it's contextualized in the printed catalog, uh, both physically and reproduced online. Um, we're having a uh, one-day preview in New York, unfortunately, which is, uh, which is in two days, um, this, this Wednesday, and it's a catalog release party. And um, then the catalog, uh, sorry, the carpets will be on view here in Chicago alongside our June 12th preview of 20th Century Design. So it's a two-day kind of two-catalog sale event um, in, in June here. Very good. And I've always... Um, appreciated the fine photography that your company does, and I know that carpets are always tricky. I mean, I've been, I've had seen people up on scaffolding, you know, aiming the camera down and all kinds of things. It's always tricky to shoot it is. carpeting. <laughs> yes, but uh, another fine job, and um, this has been a real pleasure. And well, Michael, thank you. and um, I appreciate you coming on, and hopefully the education will get out there a little more. And uh, just remember, if you're out there and you're going into a house. Don't forget to look down at your feet at what's down below, and um, you might be standing on a beautiful carpet. Thanks so much, and I wish you all the luck in this auction, and I'll be watching it. See what All right, happens. sounds good. Th sounds good. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Very good. Thanks a lot. So this is Martin Willis with Michael Jefferson at Wright Auctions in Chicago, and that's it for today. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com.